Hi everyone, James Barnett here, producer of the Night's End podcast. It's all steam ahead on season three, and I hope you're enjoying our return. It has been a while since we have released a spotlight episode, where we'd like to introduce our listeners to some other wonderful indie podcasts. Today, we are here to present an episode of The West London Witch, a podcast where they share real stories about all things spooky, strange, mysterious, and unexplained. The creator and host of the show is Rebecca Strazina, whose name you may recognise as a frequent narrator on The Night's End. The sound designer for the show is Danny Cross. Each episode is framed by narrative storytelling that really sets the mood for the interviews that make up the bulk of the episodes. So if you enjoy hearing about things that go bump in the night, sit back and enjoy this episode entitled 137 Market Street West. A story of five college seniors who move into their ultimate party pad. However, they have zero idea that their lives will not be filled with celebrations and merriment, but rather that they will be terrorized right out of their dream home. If you enjoy this one, be sure to search for The West London Witch in your podcast app and enjoy the 38 other episodes that they have ready for your listening pleasure. Also, be sure to follow them on Instagram at The West London Witch for extra content. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. For many of us, university is the most fun we will ever have. Not only do you get to focus on a discipline of your choice, but you get to study, work, and live with your best friends. There's no parents, but you still have endless support around you. And for the first time in your life, you get to choose where you're going to live and who you're going to live with. Everyone dreams of having the ultimate party house. The landing pad for getting ready, pre-gaming, movie nights, study sessions, and house parties. Imagine finding the perfect house for you and your four best friends. Big enough for you all to have your own space, but it's also close to school and has a great communal area. It's perfect. The actual college dream. That is, until it isn't. Happy Halloween, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. 
Today's story takes us to the historic market town of Preston in Lancashire, England. Five friends decide to move into a massive house for their final year of university. And they get a lot more than just a deal on the rent and some extra space. Writer and director Simon Wegerin was kind enough to share with me the harrowing experiences that him and his housemates endured that final year. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch. Episode 7, 137, Market Street West. This is probably the first time I've spoken about this in its full version. In the past, I've spoken to friends and sort of gone, oh yeah, you know, I've had this little experience or this little experience. And then when I was writing all of the notes down, I was like, oh, okay, this is the first time I've told the whole story. So this is going to be very interesting. So the name of the street is Market Street West. And this house was number 137. And it was in about 2004. So I was at drama school uh, at the University of Central Lancashire. Um, in the city of Preston. And we were going into our third year. And in the second year, I had been living with my two friends, Jim and Debs. And then in the third year, we said to ourselves, oh, let's, let's move in with a few more people. Let's have a really good big house with lots of people. Let's make it a bit of a party house. As you would in a third year, you know, it's, it's, it's your final graduating year. And as soon as we saw it, it was, it was huge. The rooms were big, lots of bathrooms. It had character. And we thought, yes, this is our place. Let's, let's sign on the dotted line. So the five friends, Simon, Debs, Jess, Jim and John, moved into their ultimate party palace every college senior's dream. So it was the summer of 2004 and it was just before our term was starting and we had decided that we were going to move in two weeks before term started so we could get used to the place, we could enjoy each other's company for a little bit without essays and homework and such like. And get a few things to brighten the place up and make it our own. And in that two weeks, we had the most amazing time, lots of late nights. There are so many takeaways nearby. We pretty much just had takeaways for two weeks. Got incredibly drunk. And then term started. And that's when things started to get a bit weird. So if I tell you a little bit about this house, it's a very old building. And none of us ever knew what it might have been in the past, but it's, it's a super wide building made of old red brick. And the building itself has been split into three houses. And our house, which was 137 Market Street West, was the biggest. We had six bedrooms. It was three floors. As you walked in, It was that sort of place that had wooden beams everywhere. 
And there were very, very tiny doors that were much smaller than us. So we'd always bang our heads on the doors constantly. There was also really strange kind of winding corridors, very thin corridors, and they were never straight. They kind of had weird kind of S shapes to them. It was almost as though you were in a hobbit house or a cave or something. It was super odd, but kind of nice. It felt different. You know, we'd never lived in a space like this. And then there were really steep stairs and the house itself had super tiny windows. So it was always very dark and we had the lights on all the time, day and night. And because it was dark, when these things started to happen, that made life in 137 even scarier. It all started two weeks into term and at the end of a day at university, we would all congregate in the living room. From the living room, there were two doors either side and there were two staircases that would go up to the second floor and then to the third floor. And we would always meet in that living room because our bedrooms were kind of off of it and the kitchen was there and it was the best place to kind of hang out. From that moment, it was about two weeks in, the lights started flickering a lot and more so in that living room space. And when I sort of say that the lights were flickering, it wasn't just that slight vibration of a light. The light would vibrate and then completely switch off and then switch back on and then switch back off. When it switched back off, that's when things got really scary because with the tiny windows, the entire room would just go pitch black. At first, the housemates didn't put too much stock in the lights flickering. But as it persisted and continued to make life in the already dark house challenging, Simon and housemate John started to check the fuse box every time the lights acted up. After a while, they called the landlord who in turn had the electrics checked and all of the bulbs changed. Yet, even after the electrics were given a clean bill of health, the lights continued to flicker. And it was always the worst in the lounge and in my friend Jess's room. And she was in the room that was just off of the lounge. And it was Jess really who first described the feelings that she was getting. We all felt a little bit strange, but it was Jess who had that first experience. And I feel awful now because at the time, we didn't really believe her. We thought she was just being silly. But Jess would say that she would be sat in her room and she would get this overwhelming sensation of feeling cold but it was very focused on her spine she'd feel this cold sensation up her spine and at the back of her ears and she always felt as though something was there or someone was there she had this really weird sort of urge to constantly turn around 
And because of that, Jess wouldn't always sleep in her bedroom. Often I'd come down in the morning and I'd find her on the sofa. More and more, Jess was sleeping in the living room. And eventually, she wasn't spending much time in the home at all. She opted to stay at friends' houses so she could get a proper night's sleep. And then from that point, it sort of feels like a weird ghost film because we really didn't last long in this house. But from that moment when Jess started to get all the cold feelings, started to sleep on the sofa, started to sleep at other friends' houses, that's when we individually felt other things happening within the house. We were all in the lounge, and I remember it was a Friday night, and we had just finished, um, I think we were doing biomechanics, um, which is this horrible Russian technique. And we had been drilled and drilled and drilled, and we were completely exhausted and super tired. But we were all watching TV, and all of a sudden, it was Jess's bedroom door that slammed straight away. It was very quick. Boom, it just slammed. We all turned straight away. We thought maybe she'd left a window open. My friend Debs went to go and check and her room was fine. There was nothing in there. The windows were closed. So we didn't know why that door slammed, but it happened twice that night. And we were slightly alarmed, you know, I think by now my friend Debs especially, she believed Jess. And when this was happening, she thought that something strange was going on. And it was always very centered around the living room and Jess's bedroom. Everywhere around the house, we were all sleeping fine, but it was always, always, always that sort of area. After this incident, several weeks passed without much notable activity. However, in November 2004, strange occurrences began once again. We came home from a friend's party. And if I can sort of describe it in detail, as you come through the front door, you are met with a thin staircase. And just next to the thin staircase is a cupboard that is locked it's sort of like a cupboard under the stairs and that's permanently locked and as you go up that staircase you arrive in the living room and then from the living room you've got the two staircases up that go to the other other rooms i had gone up that first flight of stairs and i'd gone to the kitchen to go and grab a drink and i'd said good night to everyone and i walked up the stairs to my bedroom And as I got to my door, I sort of heard a really strange sound and I kind of looked around into the corridor and that was when I saw this shadow at the end of the corridor. I I say shadow like I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as a shadow. It was more, I could, I could definitely see a figure but I couldn't see any features. I couldn't distinguish any clothing. I couldn't see any details. It was, it was like a dark outline. 
And that startled me straight away. And I remember running straight downstairs and I said to everyone, I said, uh, I, I've seen something upstairs. Um, everyone came up and nothing was there. You know, all the lights were switched on. Nobody saw anything. But I couldn't sleep that night. And even though my room was locked, that corridor still ran by the side of my room. And I, I just kept thinking that something was there. And of course, it could be my mind playing tricks. You know, I'd seen something and maybe that was still going in my head. But I got this, this feeling that there was something there. And then I remember the same shadow, but I remember being asleep and then waking up around three in the morning and I saw that same shadow at the end of my bed. And I've never, I've never felt this before, but it was, it was very strange. I sort of saw this shape and I can only describe it as I completely froze. I wasn't able to do anything and I wasn't even... I wasn't even able to, I felt like I couldn't scream or shout or say anything. I remember just sort of freezing still and yeah, it was, it, it was as if I wanted to, to scream. I wanted to kind of shout, but I couldn't get any noise out. It was bizarre, but that figure didn't move for ages. And I remember just being fixed watching it and it didn't move. It was just there. And there were times when I thought, I'm, I'm being stupid. Maybe it's, it's just a, the dressing gown on the door. It could be anything. But because I couldn't move, because I felt fixed, I felt like something weird was going on. The next morning when I spoke to everybody, and by this time we were all coming in with, oh, this, this happened last night, or... I saw this the other night or did you hear this weird sound or did you did you notice this thing and it was super bizarre because we were kind of collecting all of these weird stories and the only experience we'd all had at the same time was that door slamming in my friend Jess's bedroom in addition to the uneasy feelings the incredible cold spots lights flickering and doors closing by themselves all five housemates began to experience severe anxiety dreams and night terrors. And there were even times when the students didn't realize how much of an effect the house was having on them until their friends told them. We were doing our final written piece and we were pulling an all-nighter to get it done. I rem Oh my gosh, I remember because we had gone to Asda and we had bought so many Red Bulls and we had bought so many bags of crisps and so many sweets. And we knew we had so much more to write on our individual projects. And we're pulling this all nighter and I was there. I must have been sort of on the last few pages and it must have been about four in the morning. I was typing away so many cans of Red Bull. I remember having a Red Bull, typing away, typing away. And James, who was in the room next to me, um, he started laughing. And 
I was like, well, what's he doing? I carried on, carried on. And he kept laughing and laughing and laughing. And he was laughing so loudly and continuously. So I remember coming out the room and I knocked on his door and um, he didn't open. So I just opened it. And we did that a lot. We just opened each other's doors. And he was just on the bed laughing. But he was... He was so pale and his eyes were really glazed and he was just there on the bed <laughs> constantly. And it kept going and he didn't stop. And I ended up sort of like waving in front of his face and like giving him a shake. And then he stopped and he just went, oh, I think I fell asleep. And I was like, you did not fall asleep. Like you were very awake and and laughing like it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen and heard. James, Simon and Jess weren't the only housemates experiencing strange phenomenon. At this point, housemate Debs, whose room was directly above Jess's, was also reporting feelings of dread and the sensation of extreme cold. She described it. I remember she described it once as almost like a cold hot that sounds so bizarre but it was like a cold hot you feel hot but there's sort of a cold edge after a long period of couch surfing jess eventually moved back into the house for many months the home was quiet the activity seemed to have died down yet springtime brought about a new awakening within the home i'd say it wasn't until Easter, when things started to getting really strange again. And it all started when just off of the living room, there was a little bathroom that Jess and Debs would both use. And Debs was in there and she was having her shower. And Debs was a bit of a singer. Uh, she had an amazing voice um, and she would sing all the time in the shower. Uh, and, and you could hear her. So we'd be in the lounge watching TV, eating our breakfast, whatever. And you'd, you'd know when she was in there having a shower because you'd hear her singing. And I remember it super clear because as she was singing, it then just suddenly stopped. And there maybe was silence for, I don't know, five seconds. And then this almighty scream that was so guttural it was instantly we all jumped up I, I thought maybe she had slipped in the shower and banged her head and we thought something was 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 terrible and I remember her running out and I could tell she was frightened because she ran out of that shower completely naked um, didn't even grab a towel and wrap it round her, and she ran in, and she was, she was, almost green, like she looked. She looked so ill all of a sudden, and I remember her saying, um, "There's, there's, there's a, there's a baby's head in the sink." And I went in straight away because I was like, "I'm going to go and have a look," and as I walked in. I remember it being super steamy because it was a very small bathroom and she'd had a very hot shower. And because it was quite cold, the bathroom was super steamy. 
And I remember running in and I looked into that sink and I know I saw an eye and and, and, the, and the side of a face. And I instantly ran out and I couldn't scream, but I instantly ran out and I remember having I remember having a like a panic attack. I think that was the first time I'd experienced a panic attack. But my heart was going ten to the dozen. And then Jim ran in with John uh, and Jess followed and they couldn't see anything. Um, but we had Debs on one side of the sofa, now wrapped in a blanket, panicking, and then me panicking at the same time. And for us, that was, that was a moment when we all, by the time we'd calmed down, we'd all sat down and we'd all had a discussion. And it was in that moment when we said, there is something very wrong here. I hate to be graphic, but was the baby, did it just look like a, like a baby or was it bloody? Was its eyes open? Were they closed? Did it look alive? Its eyes were closed. That's for sure. Cause I remember seeing the eye and sort of a side of a face and it looked closed to me and it was, it was so quick, but it didn't look, I mean, it wouldn't be alive, but it didn't look alive. It didn't look awake. It was, and also actually, it didn't look as though it was sleeping. It didn't look like a calm baby sleeping. Yeah, it felt very much dead. And I remember calling the landlord and we said to the landlord, point blank, this, this house is haunted. There's something going on here. And I remember him very clearly on the phone and he said, what are you talking about? Um, I've had many tenants and this is the first I've heard of this. He actually blamed us uh, and said, we'll be taking drugs. <laughs> and we, um, yes, we were in third year at drama school, but we were far from the drug taking type of people. Um, Alcohol, yes, but uh, we definitely weren't taking any any drugs that might allow us or encourage us to hallucinate. So we were super offended by that. After this horrendous incident, the housemates discussed at length the experiences that they were having in the house. And they began to become more attuned with the paranormal phenomenon that was occurring. Their sentiments about the house changed. Their feelings about the property itself were altered. The minute we opened that front door, it didn't really feel like home anymore. We couldn't be comfortable. Um, our sleep patterns were terrible. There were many times when we'd go out clubbing with friends and then we'd go to someone else's house and just kip on the floor. Um, it, it definitely didn't feel like home. We graduated in June and we were doing our final production. And we were doing that. And I remember we were all learning our lines and we had all the doors open. So we were in the lounge, TV was on, all the lights were on. You could see right through the door into the corridor next to Jess's room and her door was open. 
and she was in her room learning lines and I was in the living room learning lines with Jim because we had a scene together and then Debs was learning her lines. I remember looking at my script and then seeing out the side of my right eye my friend Jess who was standing in her room walking, reading her lines, trying to get them into her head. I remember seeing her disappear. It was as if she had like either dived onto her bed or jumped onto her bed. And just before I went to look, she then let out this almighty scream and then came running into the lounge and she said, someone has pushed her onto the bed. It was super interesting because we all laughed nervously and we thought, yeah, all this stuff's gone on and maybe she's being a bit of a drama queen and maybe she's lying. But she sat down and she said, no, 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 no. I was stood up. I was reading my lines. And I was walking and then I felt something push me onto the bed. In that moment, she said, I'm out of here. And I remember her grabbing her bag just her rucksack, not even touching her clothes, not even grabbing her belongings. She grabbed her rucksack, popped her shoes on, and she walked straight out of that door. I remember calling her and saying, is everything okay? You know, maybe it's just the stress of everything. You know, we were about to graduate, about to do our final show. It was, it was a pretty stressful time. But she said, Simon, no word of a lie something pushed me. I'm not coming back into that house. And she didn't. Jess never returned to the house. The four remaining housemates packed up her belongings, took them into drama school, and she ended up moving in with a friend. This was the beginning of the end for 137 Market Street West. There was sort of one final thing that happened that then made us all go, that's it we're going. And it was, Debs had a friend who, it was, we, we called her sort of the lady from the crystal shop. Um, it was, it was Debs, it, it was Debs's friend, but Debs was a beautiful, ethereal woman. And um, she described herself as a bit of an earth mother uh, and a bit of a hippie. And you would find crystals of all kinds in her bedroom as well as incense and such like and she said oh I, I, I want my friend to come around and just you know just come in and see what she thinks lady from the crystal shop um took one step into the house she did walk up the stairs but she took one step in walked in and the minute she didn't even get to the lounge she got to the top of the stairs and she said I'm not walking any further. I don't like this space. Something about it feels incredibly sad. Something about it feels incredibly oppressive and, and, and dark. And then what was really, really interesting is that same night, we were in the living room and we heard this sound from downstairs near the front door. 
So we all went down to have a look at what was going on. But it, it sounded like someone had come through the front door. Um, we thought it might be Jess, but when no one came up, we all sort of went down. And that cupboard under the stairs that I was talking about that was locked, it was fully open. And we took a look inside. It was quite deep. It didn't really go anywhere. Like, it was, it's not an exciting trapdoor. There were no stairs or anything that went anywhere else. But it was quite deep and very dusty. And there were lots of things in there, but it was very dark. And we all freaked out because that had opened. And it was, it was that thing that then made us go, we can't be here anymore. And I remember that same night we had packed our bags and we'd walked across to the university halls that were just across the street. It was these student halls called the Trinity Halls. And we spoke to the receptionist security guard there and then, and we said, there was something wrong with our house. Um, can we please have a room? And uh, that night we all stayed in separate rooms in different blocks. And for the rest of our university period, and it was only a few months before we graduated, we all lived in different flats within this university hall block. And that was the end of 137 Market Street West. The end of an era. And not the dream outcome the five friends had hoped for on move-in day. And we never went anywhere near the house again. You know, we could see it all the time. And the landlord, really interestingly, when we said to him, um, we're leaving, he just kind of said, okay. There was, there was, there, there was no... There was no, oh, how dare you? Um, you can't just disappear. And no, he was very fine. And we got our full deposit back. And, and that was that. Do you think he knew Simon? Do you think he had gone through this before with other tenants? Thinking back on it, the first time we had spoken to him, he was very, very quick to say, are you on drugs? And... That time when we left and he didn't really seem bothered by it, it, it felt like he, he could have gone through this before. When you go back and think about it, do you have any theories on where all of this activity may have originated from? I feel like it must have been some sort of inn or halfway house seeing all the pictures of highwaymen and it being this kind of bustling market street, I feel like it's a mother and a child scenario. I, you know, it's so difficult. Like, I, I, I couldn't even say that the figure I saw was female. It was, just this, it was just a shadowy figure. But for me, kind of seeing, seeing that baby's head in the sink, I can't help but think that there was maybe some sort of domestic that happened. Do you think there's a coincidence that you thought that maybe there was a female energy there and a child and that that violent attack happened on a woman as opposed to one of the boys? Yeah, I've, I've never even really thought about that. 
Or the woman was trying to tell her what happened to her. Ah, perhaps that, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like... My gosh, imagine. Speculative, of course. No, but speculation is good. Imagine. Oh, that would explain so much. Imagine if it was a woman and the baby's head in the sink was her child. And because everything centered around that lounge and in Jess's room and the bathroom just came off the lounge, it's as if everything was sort of on that floor. I wonder. Maybe she was just maybe she was just getting us to experience what she experienced. Simon, shall we write to the current residents? Yeah, I'd be so up for that. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's just write him a letter to say you used to live there and you had some interesting experiences in your time in the house and just want to know if you had felt anything in your time there. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So that's what we did. Wrote a letter to the current occupants. To date, we haven't heard back. And there's a litany of different reasons as to why that might be. I think the most probable reason is COVID. This house is student digs, and currently universities are not yet back in school. Our letter might just be sitting in the mailbox, waiting to greet the next set of friends who decide to move into 137 Market Street West. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at thewestlondonwitch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Mary meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Ms. Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us. <laughs>